Hey, this is Caleb, and I am here with a very special guest, Jerry Delgado. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. So for those of you who don't know, Jerry is my dad's cousin. That's yeah. right. That's right. So my grandmother, Mercy, and Jerry's dad, Joe, are siblings. Correct. So, Jerry, we're going to go back to the very beginning, and we're going to start with Mikaela Sagundino. And what do you remember about Mikaela? Whenever we go to visit, mm -hmm. um, she would greet us at the door, and shortly after that, she'd disappear into the kitchen to start cooking and heating up whatever food she had on hand and then making homemade flour tortillas um, is a happy re um, remembrance of um, Grandma Delgado. Because it didn't make sense. Because it's like, wait, we came to visit you and you, you disappeared on us. But I think that was a big attraction was the, the food. It was such simple food, beans and uh, homemade salsa, uh, chili sauce and tortillas. And I, even now, I mean, Mexican food, the, some of the elements are so simple, but so tasty. And that there's a sauce that I buy um, that reminds me of the sauce that um, grandma used to make. And just that with some chips. and She loved feeding you guys. <laughs> she did. Yeah. And I think I, we joke because the name Delgado means thin, um, but none of us yeah. are. <laughs> Very few of <laughs> yeah. us are. I know it's, it's not in the genes or... It's all the beans and rice and tortillas. <laughs> um, but yeah, they... And how was your, your communication with her speaking Spanish? Um, very tough. Um, my dad would have to translate because um, mm -hmm. she would speak in Spanish and as if we understood what she was saying. And then it would be, a, um, okay, dad, what what grandma say? Um, and, and I think for my siblings, that got... Uh, old or mm -hmm. it was a challenge that um that it was a barrier um but i i well you know you had to take foreign language in high school so i studied spanish i didn't and i found that because i had heard the language it came a little bit easier because i knew what it should sound like and then i i, I went to mexico on a student exchange and took spanish in college just to be able to hear. And I, I think I told you last, my wife speaks, spoke Spanish before she spoke English. So it was real easy once we were engaged and um, Raquel was around for Raquel to speak fluently with my grandma. And, um, and but, but I, I think I could pull off um, fluency. Now I can carry a conversation yeah. and uh, so many of my associates at work, Spanish is their first language and more comfortable. And I'm, we're able to communicate. I don't let on that I speak Spanish to everyone. In fact, my big boss, it's like, you speak? Because he caught me, he caught me. Or yeah. me <laughs> speaking to a housekeeper in the public areas, which we're really not supposed to, we're supposed to speak English. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just easier to communicate in Spanish and get the, get it across. But um, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was a challenge, but um, I just love to be around the family and play the games. We played Chinese checkers 
In fact, we have the board that my dad made for my grandma. Um, it used to be a metal tin kind of round board and that got all dented and probably got replaced. And then my dad made this one. Uh, um, I'm looking at it now um, that we had to get marbles for because we couldn't find them. But um, they used to sit around and play Chinese checkers and eat um, peanuts and coffee and water. I don't remember so much uh, lemonade or uh, awa, awa fresca. Um, but um, and then real butter. Um, and I, I was uh, uh, the Hawaiian mentality for white. No, no, real, real, real butter. Um, but I put a twist on my tortilla. I put butter, melted butter, and then I put peanut butter on there. Um, oh. So tortilla con mantequilla y cacahuate. Um, just, yeah. you know, like treated like toast or a piece of toast. Um, so yeah, I remember real butter and those are my Raquel and Elisa are here. So if you hear oh. noises in the background, that's what that is. <laughs> um, that's okay. simple cooking. They, um, I never went for the, um, the tripas, the, what's it called when you're, you're hungover and, um, oh. menudo. Yeah I, never, <laughs> yeah, I never acquired a taste for that. Just the thought of eating intestines, I think, was enough. Um, yeah. But she used to, there was, um, like, sheep's brain and, yeah. you know, interesting, interesting foods. And then homemade tortillas at the holiday time. But it was a big production line. And she made the red spicy ones and then the sweet ones with raisins and pineapples. And then she made buñuelos which if you go to, I don't know, they call them crispas at Taco Bell or something, but hers were tortillas, but she made her own syrup and they were just lathered in this syrup. So they weren't crispy so much. They were crispy because they were fried, but then they got a little softer because of, and at Christmas time, she, and I'm sure her daughters um, just made dozens and dozens of those that, tamales and the buñuelos was part of the holiday tradition so de yeah definitely food watermelon during the summertime out in the backyard sunflower seeds just sitting around talking or playing games my dad um i think he taught everyone how to play poker um no 21 um blackjack 21 yeah yeah so they would um they'd play poker and of course i wasn't old enough to um you know to understand what i was doing but um, yeah, so they would play 21 blackjack. And then there were times later on, um, um, grandma liked the one-armed bandit, the slot machines. So they'd catch oh. the buses and go to Vegas or the border or and go gamble for a few hours. And grandma would just babysit a machine. So I hear, I did, um, I think only once or twice I saw her, we were all at a casino together when we took a trip to Lake Tahoe with grandma and grandpa. Francine, Sandra, and of course me and my siblings. We uh, and Aunt Sally was there too, um, but that's when she would have. Um, in I would have seen her with the one arm bandit. And she'd just babysit a machine and make her money. And yeah. what do you remember about Segundino? Quiet. And I used to ask because um, my and my dad would say that he ruled with an iron fist. He didn't have to say much, just everyone knew to do what you were told. And I guess with 
12 kids. Um, I, I imagine by the time I came around, he, he must have been pretty exhausted. I remember he worked yeah. at um, a chemical factory. And I remember going to his company picnic um, down in like Southgate or down below Norwalk. Um, and, and he might have been already retired at that point and just going back as a retiree from that company. Um, but that's how I remember. And then not all the railroad stuff didn't make sense at that time. But now in hindsight, um, it does. I'm looking for, I have a gas lantern that I believe my dad said came from my grandpa. And then I have a pocket watch that my dad gave me that came from grandpa that I've since passed on to my son um, that um, it, it didn't, it didn't work. I don't know if we got it working, but anyway, the, just a couple things that we have from grandpa, but he used to walk. So um, the railroad lines to make sure that they, the tracks were clear for the trains to come through. So they didn't cause accident, which was pretty menial labor, but it took and took them away from home. And that's where grandma, when they lived in Arizona or New Mexico or all the Southwestern states um, that grandma would have been home on her own and, and had a gun. And sh I'm sure you've heard the story yeah. of her shooting <laughs> one of the persons, a hobo or, um, and then mended him is how the story goes. But um, because they would mark, my dad said they used to mark the houses. So that all the homeless or hobos um, would know which houses would give you food. And so she had a marked marked house. So she was generous, but you know there were, had to be a, a limit there. Yeah. But. So I'd like to go through the children, and you can say as little or as much as you want about each one, whatever comes to mind. Yeah. Starting with Benny. Okay. So Benny must have been retired by the time I came around. I remember he drove a big old gold. Crown uh, Ford, Crown Victoria. My dad ended up getting the same um, model of car, which in hindsight, it's like, oh, yeah, well, his big brother okayed it, so it must be okay. So my dad liked Fords, but I think because his big brother liked Fords, um, he smoked, he drank, he was taller and thinner, speaking of Delgado, but of course he wouldn't necessarily technically be a Delgado, um, I like, I divert again. Um, I had to, Delgado can mean, um, the upright, uh, that holds the fences. Um, it's upright. It's, so it's, a, it could be a thin, um, piece of material. I thought, oh, okay. I like that one upright that supports. And <laughs> I'll go with that definition yeah. instead of just thin because, yeah. um, Del, Delgado, it's, I mean, it's also related to delicate or not strong or, like, yeah, I don't like right, that right. definition. I'll go with the one. <laughs> um, so Uncle Benny. And I was a little confused. And of course, it was he had been divorced or uh, married a divorcee, I should say. So that was like, especially in this, everyone's had moved away from the Catholic Church and was in, uh, well, Protestant. But I mean, with uncle Sal and Billy Graham and all that. Um, so that was a little, the smoking and the drinking they'll come to find out a lot of the aunts and uncles drank. 
um, you know, once in a while, but it it just, it came across as not Puritan, but just very, um, it's, and I'm sure they saw it's, you know, just there's a better way or it's not good for you. Or I think even grandpa drank, but in comparison to my other, my mom's side of the family, they were saints. The Delgados were saints. My mom's uh, alcoholic grandfather and they smoke and drank and cuss like nobody's business. Um, but they were English and Irish. They, right. <laughs> they were Canadian and they, they didn't care what it was. about Joyce's parents. I'm talking about Joy, my mom's side yeah. of the family. Yeah. 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 So okay. I had this dichotomy of the McLaughlin's and the Delgados, two different cultures, two different languages. Um, and two different sets of values, the to some extent, you, you know, there's yeah. good everywhere, and there's um, but anywho, um, so that's Uncle Benny, um, and, yeah, and Luce, then, uh, and his, yeah. his wife is just um, you know, super sweet and kind, but a huge language barrier. Language English was more difficult for her than than Grandma and Grandpa, but um, but okay. yeah, but the language barrier with my dad around was you know he could translate and and who knew if he was translating accurately he was just you know saying whatever right. <laughs> <laughs> putting his own spin on it so Ines was a nurse she was um I saw her more when she took care of grandma she moved in and uh not bossy but I think she just knew what needed to be done. It was right in her head and just do what you're told. Not, but not mean, yeah. you know how there's some, she's very compassionate right. and very, she was still a teacher. I think the teaching just runs through the family, just that nurturing, patient, listening, encouraging, encouraging almost to a fault. If you're going to, be perform at Christmas Eve or with the Delgados or 4th of July, there was going to be no more accepting audience than them. They were going to clap and cheer no matter how bad the performance was. (laughs) It was just that kind of encouraging, (laughs) nurturing um, kind of. So that, that was Ines. And I remember when she lived downtown on Selmer, Somewhere in, down in East LA by East LA College, but I remember the street with the turn, and she had a the brick patio backyard with the avocado tree for shade. Wait, that was that was um, Aunt Ines and Uncle Sal. Um, yeah, Sal is next. Yeah. All right, Sal just not bombastic. That's not right. The right word, but <laughs> unapologetic. Um, he's just going to tell you what he thought you needed to hear with no, no apologies, which you you know, you want, you respect that now through the sixties and the seventies, we've learned to be a lot nicer and polite and not want, not risk offending anyone. Um, but he didn't, when he was speaking the gospel, he well, he wasn't going to apologize. This is the truth, yeah. and this is the truth. Strange. Um, <laughs> you know, accept it or not, your choice. 
So, um, but a, an orator, but and in Spanish and English. I mean, he would go from one church, preach in English, or or vice versa, and then he turn around and go do the same sermon in Spanish. So he was pastoring wow. two different churches, two different cultures, um, the second generation Hispanics in East LA, and then the Spanish speaking um, at, I think the church was called Federally. But I remember Sal, I remember used to go just for, not fire and brimstone, but that just that enthusiastic, unapologetic, this is the way it is, gang. Um, I would go drive down to East LA to, um, the church on Dittman where Johnny and Sarah and they all grew up. Um, but the church was right next door. I'd, I'd go down just to be inspired, just raw. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Guys. And you know, East LA, they didn't have the finest choirs or the best equipment or whatever, but it was just basic. Yeah. Um, the military service. It's like, Oh, not only, um, a pastor, but had put it all out on the line, you know, he could have well not come back. Um, but yeah, but, but he did. And, and I think the military did. service led to the pastor. In yes. a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but he didn't talk much. I don't recall him talking too much about his time in the, um, in the military, which I, you know, nowadays, call it PTSD or something like that. But yeah. And yeah. then he married late. Um, Angie was, he was older when he got married. And so where Sal was one of the older ones, my dad's kind of in the middle to the later ones, Sarah, Johnny, Johnny and I are the same age. Sarah and my sister are the same age. Tati, Elizabeth and my brother, Josh are the same age. So, um, but wow. they were, they were in East LA we were in the suburbs of El Monte. It's kind of laughable um, now yeah. that you know LA has expanded so much. But we didn't live in the city. They had a different experience growing up. Uncle Sal worked for the post office, and then so did um, Ignacio, Sarah's husband. In fact, he's already retired from the post office, I think. Um, and Sal was loved his cousins too. So I'm thinking of a wedding of a cousin that we went to up in San Juan Bautista. But Sal and Angie and all the kids were up at the wedding just the same. So they knew our cousins in San Juan as well as we did. Um, so Sal, these would have been Micaela's nieces and nephews. This would have been, yes, yeah. because Mar Margarito was the father who was grandma's um, brother who had settled in San Juan. And that, I'd never... I assume the connection, but um, that during the summer times, um, the whole family would migrate from LA up to work the fields to make money. But then I also have right. heard stories of them working like in Rancho Cucamonga, because there was another relative that lived out there. And there they harvested, I want to say almonds or some kind of nuts out there. So agricultural yeah. and yeah. And yeah. I mean, growing up, um, they, they were attached to the land and, and I love it. I, have you ever been to San Juan Bautista? Yeah. So that, that's, I don't think so. That Steinbeck country that, um, right. 
cannery row and tortilla flats and you just you kind of just breathe that in when you're up there or at least when back when i was there before they started building hills on the or houses on the hillside um but it was just a quaint quaint little town and a cemetery right in the middle a little hill on one end of town and um three different um siblings all live there and their parents so there are four different pieces of property i don't know that anyone's oh jesse jesse morgia and his wife sally are still still have that house in san juan but um just rich and you know the farmland the agriculture the wine and not they're you know big drinkers but they were they were not they were catholic so they were more comfortable um around alcohol than i think we were a little paranoid um but so that was sal and angie sarah johnny and Fati. yeah what about ruby you know um if we get back up to Ines, um, oh, you yes. know, her oldest daughter, Angie Farrell, um, died very young. She worked at Macy's in Pointy Hills and um, she had an aneurysm. She just like died. I don't know if it was on the spot, but it was quite a shock. She was one of the first after my brother. Um, she was one of the first of the cousins to die. And then, of course, since then, um, Jenny Peewee and her husband, Louie. Um, have passed. I'm still in touch with Julie Voigt. I don't know if you see her on Facebook, but that's um, Pee Wee's daughter. And then Michael Castro, you're in touch with his daughter. Um, so yeah. he's part of that that branch. And then Uncle Frankie was a um, garbage collector, sanitation engineer, or whatever you want to call it. But his route was in our neighborhood, in El Monte. So we oh. would see him um, driving by, and it would be Uncle Frankie. which <laughs> was kind of crazy, if you think of you know, he could have been assigned anywhere, but, um, so sorry, that's Ines, um, Sal, who's next? Uh, Ruby. I don't even know. I would have to struggle to, or look at pictures to figure out who's in what order. Um, Aunt Ruby lived the closest to us. She lived at, it was called City Park. Now it's Tony Arcero. She lived right across. And so it's real convenient. Um, we all kind of went to First Baptist El Monte. She was in the choir. Um, her husband was a golfer. He was, wasn't much of a church attender and lived across from city park. So when we'd have get together, she would go out early, save tables, start cooking fried eggs and tortillas. Um, so I, I joined her, um, to help her set up when I was old enough. And then of course I went to school right across Elmonte high schools, right adjacent to that park. Um, so, and then Ruby worked at the school for a while in the reading lab. Um, so a lot of interaction. Um, she worked at also before that she was, a, I think a receptionist at, I want to say an optometrist office, not too far from where she lived on the other side of the 10 freeway. Um, and their daughter, Jerry, their youngest is the same age as my sister. So those kids were much older. Um, Hector, Billy, Fred, Naomi, Sue, yeah. Susie, Becky, and Jerry. Now, Jerry lives just a couple hours away here in Bernie, Texas. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. Ruby, because I was a year younger than Jerry, um, and Jerry and I, we got along to a point, but she was the baby of the family, and she liked being treated like the baby of the family. 
but I would hang out. I was a, I guess a newer version of Fred uh, or, or anyway, yeah. after church, she didn't, you know, she'd have us me over for lunch and clean up or I'd go grocery shopping with her. Or um, She was a bit of an empty nester at that point. And so I was just someone to, she taught me how to wash a aquarium out with dirt because the, because the aquarium is made from sand already. And uh, she had guppies in her kitchen window and she um, kept a nice house. She had nice carpet and nice furniture um, in the living room that didn't get used much, mostly sat at the dining room table. Um, her husband loved to watch the Dodgers and golf. So he had sports on quite a bit and loved the LA Times. He was always reading the newspaper. Uncle Henry, whose real name is Carlos, but his nickname was Henry. <laughs> um, and a long driveway, at least it seemed real long at the time. And they built a, an addition for all the girls. Um, Becky, Susie, Naomi, and Jerry all were in the back room um, when I was younger. But they just, it was so, so, there were so many of them. It was hard to keep track. Yeah. But I remember you sh just showed a picture of Becky's wedding. Um, so I was old enough. And then I remember going to their house when Anessa was first born. Anessa, she's Galifant. Galifant now, and she has grown kids. In fact, her son is in the Air Force stationed over in over in Europe somewhere. I want to say Poland, but not sure. Uh, what about Francis? Francis, um, she lived downtown. So she was another East LA um, down by the college relative and not too far from Aunt Ines. I just assumed they were downtown, uh, that they were, had their own clique going on. But now in, as I saw them go through time it's like oh no they weren't as tight as i assume or or even their their kids not necessarily um so francis of course married a military guy who was killed in service right at the beginning of the war her both her and ruby both married yeah um guys that that um died so and uncle ray um didn't really know him until later. He was um, pretty handy. She was just one of the aunts and just always encouraging. And uh, I'm like Uncle Oswald, no apology for speaking the truth. Just this is, this is the problem. <laughs> this is what needs to happen. Yeah. They were all, um, I guess they're all like that now that I think of it um, <laughs> in their own way. So Very I, candid. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, and Pauline, I remember going to her house when she was first married, Stace. And of course, she lost her husband early. Um, and and Esther was going to school. And then Bobby, that's it, right? Just the three of them? I think so. Wow, that's... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, you have, a, you have a picture of them yeah. um, at the park. I, th I think, yeah. So just the three of them. Esther's another cousin who lives just down the road um, down in Bull Verde. And her kids are all in the area. Yeah. And yeah, well, are we on Esther? Yeah. So Esther worked at the same school where my mom worked, which is the elementary school that all us kids attended. But 
And then Esther and Tommy went to uh, Mexico City at the same time Uncle Louie was there um, doing missions um, work. So there was a connection there. Yeah, Frances was she just a wealth of knowledge about the family. And I, I guarantee some of these stories are embellished, but or it's you know, it's their <laughs> it's their recollection. Um we I, yeah. we as kids we used to love to hear the story and we had to hear it from the older aunts and uncles. Um, but somewhere in there they were working um at in the fields up north. And they had, my dad was small and they had him in a box, a wooden box to be safe. And there were gypsies that came by and the story says that they were eyeing him and looking to take him away, that he would have been robbed by gypsy. I don't know if that's just a story or, but it seems to have been validated by the other aunts and uncles. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, you would have had a very different life. Of course, it, it, you know, it couldn't be a story that my dad would necessarily tell because he was just a toddler or a baby or whatever. But um, yeah, so my, my dad could have been a gypsy. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, we were on Francis. And of course, yes. I never knew her first uh, husband. And Ray was just quiet and friendly. He was mm-hmm. a craftsman. I think he worked with, with wood and uh, didn't it? Yeah, I think he had some kids of his own, too. But I don't know. Esther would know better. Esther. Okay. Who's uh, What about Sally? Sally. Yeah. So Sally, I remember when, I don't know what was going on in her relationship, but I remember going with my dad to help her move out of an apartment. That was the first. And then, of course, Francine was there with all her toys and she was just a, a small one. But I remember, not spoiled, but I think Sally tried to give her all, just create a normal experience for her. So I, with, and Francine wouldn't be able to fill in the blanks better about who her biological dad is and who the husband was at the time. And because she was single, Sally, um, I think my dad was very apt to help rescue her and we were all in the same neighborhood she was living in san gabriel at that apartment that we went to go help move her from um and then i don't know if she moved in with grandma at that point she did oh i, remember, I mean at some point she, yeah. yeah i remember i mean sally would come home from work at grandma's house and then just go take a nap um or yeah yeah so and Sally was, she spoiled us um, in the sense that on Christmas Eve, I don't, can't imagine how much money she spent, but every single cousin, everyone got, it was, made, it, it was just a jar of candy with a snowman, something, something, but everyone got one of those nice gifts that you walk in at Walmart or wherever at the front of the store and everyone got one of those. Now, Grandma Delgado used to crochet and she um, crocheted slippers for everybody, <laughs> which hurt. Oh. <laughs> I tried to wear them with socks because they, oh. they hurt when you step on them, step on that, that you know, twisted yarn. Um, but yeah, so Grandma made personal gifts and Sally was the, she spent money to um, 
have gifts for everyone. She meant well, I think, well, I mean, with all those kids, she was glamorous too. Her and Ruby, um, there's some pictures of them all dolled up. But um, yeah, they say, and Francine could tell you, somewhere in there, there was an accident where Sally may have hit her head or injured mm-hmm. her yeah. brain. And that might've explained, cause she wasn't, okay. You, you familiar with the golden girls? Yeah. The TV show. Yeah. So what's her name? The one that Betty, the, White. Betty White. Yeah. So similar. I hesitate to use the word ditzy, but yeah. Just well-meaning demeanor, but just some of it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. There was a, she was part of the problem. Um, she just thought the sun rose and set on my dad. So she just laid on. Oh, you're, you know, it's. He, she just made him feel like he was wonderful, which he was great guy. He was very helpful. He had a family and wife yeah. at home, but, right. <laughs> but this is where the brothers and sisters were each other's confidants and friends and um, support system. Yeah. Um, so um, she just loved, loved my dad and just thought he was wonderful and, and would tell him. <laughs> but um yeah, and you know, I, I was too young to understand life circumstances of her not being married and Francie not having a her a dad when everyone else had mom, dad, and you know, um, but yeah. There was a time when I was working in La Puente and had my bike and I lived it with grandma and grandpa or with grandma at grandma's house. So that I got to see a little more of the inner workings and of um, Sally and Francine and, and grandma and, you know, people in the house don't always get together or see eye to eye, but um, I think everyone had their routines, their expectations and, and it worked. And then what happened in there? Did Sally ever get her own place? I think Sally got a condo or something. Francine got into real estate and she wanted everyone to um, have that investment that she helped Tommy and Esther get into their house in Whittier Sally she drove a black, uh, beautiful black Buick. She loved Buicks. Um, later, Buick. later on, she had a gold one. But um, I remember the older, older pictures, and I, I want to say I remember it. But it was a beautiful um, black Buick. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you drive up to Grandma's and you see whose cars are there, so you know who's there. And um, but that was Sally's car. Nice. Okay, great. Uh, what about Loopy? Loopy, I remember when she lived in El Monte on Cedar, which is the same rental house that Tommy and Esther lived in. And I think Diane lived in it at some point too, near the airport. So I remember stopping by her place. And then she worked for Burroughs in Pasadena. And then Burroughs picked up and moved to Irvine um, back in the 70s back when Irvine was still Orange Groves. Um, so her and Natty, both at a similar time, both families moved down to Irvine, which was, gosh, an hour away. All, like your grandparents moving all the way out to Agora 
All that happened about the same time. The family was just going in all directions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she moved down there. She got a new house in a new neighborhood, um, went to a new church. Irvine was a planned community. So all the churches were on one street, on one block. Um, so she got, she played the guitar. So I think that was, and she got involved in ministry. So I think that was a big part of her um, world. And then there was a church on Jeffrey Drive in Irvine on the other side of the freeway that um, Linda, we must've gone down there for a conference. Um, Loopy must've been going there, but Linda, not Linda, Gina and her husband, Jeff were also at that church. Um, I used to go and hang out with Loopy. She'd invite me down. We did penny uh, coin collect collecting, just going through. I think she was just trying to take interest in what I was interested in. And, um, mm -hmm. she, it was that visit with the aunt who didn't have any kids who, um, we ate out and we just slept over there. I think there was an ulterior, I don't think, I know there was an ulterior motive. Um, Terry, one of the, um, kids from uncle Sal's East LA church had, she took her under her wing. So Loopy must've been going to church in East LA also, um, and I think it would have made her happy for Terry to become a Delgado. And to make that happen, um, Terry and Jerry needed to find each other. So I think there was an ulterior motive to make that happen. But that wasn't where I was going. I'm very face value. <laughs> I lay all my cards on the table. But if, if that was true and it appeared to be then it's like um that special place where i held you i don't hold you there anymore because you couldn't see past your own vision to celebrate mine so um in the past so i didn't really i just out of courtesy when i was living in san diego when raquel and i were living in san diego um we try to stop by but my wife's idea she didn't grow up the way i did where we just drop in um <laughs> you know you got to call and plan ahead and at least let people know you're stopping by um so i we tried that and um it just they weren't <laughs> they were scrambling around I don't know, it must have been mid-morning or something it, they should have been up and going so terry lived with loopy it's kind of like a daughter Anywho, how'd we get on that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, well, let's... Uh, yeah. now, at my wedding, yeah. I just wanted anyone and everyone there to yeah. celebrate with us. So it's kind of strange that someone didn't purposely didn't... Well, I had a fourth grade teacher who I invited to, and she was a, a single lady, um, but she, uh, she couldn't make it to the wedding because she was having her hair done. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but every Saturday at a certain oh. time, she got her hair done. I since um, it was a couple of years ago, but I tracked her down because my mom had worked at the same elementary school. And so they were coworkers, tracked her down and we went to go visit her. Um, she was like, I don't know, 90 something, but she was in a senior living, but we went to go track her down. Miss Halsey, she was quite influential um, in elementary school as far as um, singing and and that sort of thing. But um, 
So that's Aunt Loopy. Okay. So let's come back to your father later. Okay. And go to Oswald. Yeah. So Uncle Oswald was a comedian and he would have this fake Italian um, voice that he would use to tell his jokes. And he, he had them. Have you heard this one? Like kind of Rodney Dangerfield delivery. Um, just, and, and they, this is where they all made each other laugh and sing and, um, they just entertained each other. So Uncle Oswald was a joker of sorts. Um, very um, talented craftsman-wise. He um, did the metal leaves and ornaments and sculptures. Um, based on, and that's where Uncle Ray kind of did the same sort of thing. Back in the 70s, that was the big trend. All these... Um, mm, Sounds like vaudeville. Arts and crafts. Um, yeah. Vaudeville? Yeah, the way they would entertain each other. I think so. And that was Christmas Eve, too. The singing and the... Yeah, a lot of singing. A lot of guitars. Uncle, um, Uncle Jimmy um, was in there, too. Right in there. He just... Mm -hmm. As a musician, he just was right in there. And your uncle... I mean, your grandpa was... Um, is quite the pun artist himself yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> very much so yeah so he he fit in very well um so uncle oswald and then he became may have been i don't know when he became like a chp or a sheriff uh la county sheriff. sheriff and and that's i understand oh no no um after that then he went to work for i think it was northrop grumman in Pico Rivera, and that's when Grandma Delgado needed to get her citizenship squared away, so that because they did a background check on Oswald, and it didn't look good that his mother wasn't a citizen. So then she worked on her citizenship, and that's when all that that transpired. His wife Ruth, their daughter Marty, who those Marty's two daughters are on Facebook, and then David Delgado, who. We didn't get invited to their wedding, but we got to stay at their house and swim in their pool during the wedding. That was on the Queen Mary. Yeah. Um, oh, but that, then that marriage dissolved after not too long. But the, he has a son. I'm thinking it's Paul or Jonathan or I don't know his son's name. But, um, oh, Aunt Ruth remarried, mm. not remarried, had a boyfriend. Um because she was living at some senior something out there past to Meckler or Hemet out that way. Um, turned out that it was the former neighbor of my mom and dad on the same street in El Monte, um, Bob, Bob Rendon. So, so where they got on, took a Hawaii cruise, they got off on our Island and we took them to lunch. It's like we already knew, <laughs> I mean, there's already background connections just from, Coincidentally, um, but um, yeah, so that, that's Ruth and Oswald. And they, I don't know what they were doing. I guess they were just trading up and making money, but they seemed to move a lot. I remember when they lived in Cerritos and back then you could still smell all the dairy cows. I mean, the cows were the next lot over. Um, and then they moved to like Upland and I kind of lost track. And then Marty, their daughter, got into real estate too. So I'm sure she was just helping them 
I don't know. I'm guessing that's how they made some money, um, just by yeah. moving, flip, you know, selling a house and then buying a bigger one and selling that, and and then there was some. I don't know what or why, but they made friends with an attorney and his wife, a tall black man, and they would start bringing them. I guess they asked. I don't know. Bringing them around family get-togethers, which was very, up until then, it had been purely family, no outsiders. There were occasions when I know my mom's mom and my mom's sister and her husband, um, they would come along and I'm sure everyone was invited always, but it was, it was kind of just family. These are all my relatives. These are my aunts and uncles and cousins. So it was kind of strange that now there's this, and everyone is accepting and friendly, but um, you know, my son feels that way sometimes when we have, cause we get together for dinner and then we invite other people who aren't part of our five person circle. It just changes the dynamics. But I think Ruth and Oswald just wanted to show off their family and how proud they were and what a warm, and of course, I mean, who couldn't with all the food and music and laughing and games and um, all, it's very attractive, for, especially for people who don't have an experience that or don't, don't have that or had it back home or anyway. So just this little side note about Ruth and Oswald. Who's next? Uh, Natty. Okay, so Natty, I remember going to their house when they lived in Buena Park. And I, the back of their house dropped off. It was Natty, um, Gina, Linda, and Eric. Um, Gina and Linda were a little older than me. Eric was younger than me. Um, they didn't live too far away. Ronnie By, Natty's husband, was my mom and my dad's best man in their wedding. They're, yeah. I assume, that tight. Um, and then, of course, Natty and my dad were closer in age. And, and then Ron Bai was Anglo. And um, back then, I mean, Lucy Arnez and, I mean, Desi and Lucy was, I think, a, a novelty. Um, but, but here's Natty's marrying a white boy. And then my dad married uh, English and Irish, a redhead. Um, so I think that might have been part of the connection is that they were going outside the culture and, and that was okay. Um, but so Ronnie was my, I'm my mom and dad's best man. Um, and then I don't know what line of work he was in sales, I assume. Um, but they moved down to Irvine and they were living the good life with the new house and the nice cars and, um, I, yeah, and then I don't know what happened with their marriage, um, but that that broke up. I remember after I was staying at Loopy's because Loopy lived in Irvine, and I went to visit, and then we were going over to Natty's for must have been I don't know Christmas Eve or some something around the holidays. But I remember Ron um, showing me how to make the wine glass sing, or you know make the tone, uh -huh, yeah. Yeah. and then. He obviously drank more alcohol than the Delgados did, but it so you know there's definitely rum in the the drink, and that was 
normal. And then I, I know he had an affair with someone at, I guess at work. Cause she was there and they had, there was a kid. I don't know if it was his kid, but um, she had a, a kid. Yeah. Second family. I know Gina was, they moved to Northern California. I know Gina was made mention that when Ron passed, the wife didn't even, the new wife didn't even let them know that he was, was ill. He was gone before they found out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it was like, in the 70s, it was Brady Bunch, and it was brand new Irvine community and a new university going in and brand new freeways, and it was Orange County at its finest. Went to that university. Did you? So in, you yeah. know, in its heyday, it was all just eucalyptus trees and orange trees, and um, it was all new and nice and planned and... Um, what, what could go wrong? Everything should be perfect. They lived on Fen. I think Natty still has that house on Fen Drive, not too far from the 405. And so Natty, Natty was just another one of my dad's sisters. She was very Republican. She got involved in the um, Republican women's whatever down there in Orange County, which was very Republican. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's where politically my mom, my dad and my aunt, we're very much on the same page. Um, she's still alive. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah. She's I'm still, hoping to talk to her. Yeah, please do. Capture whatever you can. Because it's it's Louie, your grandma, and my Aunt Natty that, that's left. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, Louie. Yeah. So Louie was away a lot on missions. My dad and Louie um, had a scheme to buy a lot of leather goods back in the, well, it wasn't the sixties, but maybe it was the sixties. Um, the, with the beads and the hair things and the vests and um, all kinds of leather that they bought in Mexico and would take to like the LA County fair. And I remember they went up to the Sacramento state fair to sell. I don't know how much money they made, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but it was a business venture. My dad always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, he, um, so I think that was just yet another business venture that he went into with Louie. And I guess, I don't think Louie was in Mexico at the time. And, and even when he was in Mexico, it wasn't to make contact for vendors. He was down there on doing missions. Yeah. Um, they were younger than us. Bettina is their oldest and she has got to be younger than Josh or Josh's age. And then of course, Paul and Noel. So they were littler cousins. Our son, Jeffrey was in Bettina and Richard's wedding. Um, they were, oh. we were living in Whittier at the time. And so he was a, a ring bearer, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I yeah. think grandma, well, I don't even know. I want to say, I know grandma Delgado took a trip with Naomi, Gina, Esther, like three different cousins, families. Um, but I think it was to visit the relatives in Mexico city because grandpa Delgado had relatives down there. We had, um, they were performers in the ballet folklorico. So they play guitar and, and dance um, in Mexico city. 
And my mom and dad went down there once too. Did I tell you about the um, 4th of July picnic that we had going on, but grandma Delgado wasn't there. My mom and dad had flown back that day, but grandma couldn't get across the border. She had packed her passport in the luggage that got checked into the plane. So she couldn't prove her citizenship. So they flew her to Tijuana and then we were going to cross the border that way. So I drove down, I left the picnic, drove to Tijuana, met them at the airport and then drove my mom, dad, and grandma all the way. I was just a fairly new driver all the way back and went, got to the picnic. Um, But on the way up, we were following a semi with two trailers. And I, again, I was a new driver, but I had just pulled to start going around the truck when the second part of the truck came undone <laughs> and started rolling because it was, now it wasn't being pulled by the truck. So it started kind of rolling backwards. It ended up rolling off the side of the freeway. But we were just moments before. Of course, it, we were safe. But at the time, I thought, oh, gosh, we could have all been killed. <laughs> so much so much family value in the car with my mom, dad, and grandma. It was precious cargo. But um, how did we get on that? Um, so Louie, was they just weren't around as much. And I don't know if Bettina, Noel, and Paul feel that. Um, but, you know, it, it was their experience. And now Paul's in Southern California and Noel and... Lou and Marisa are all in the same place and, and uh, Richard and Bettina are over in England. So kind of keep in touch, yeah. but not any more than anyone else. Sure. Who else is left? <laughs> Mercy. So Mercy, I mentioned to you, your aunt um, Liz and I are the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, everyone, all the other kids were younger, but there were five of them. There were four of us. Um, and for a while, um, your grandma and grandpa lived just down the street from my mom and dad's house in South St. Gabriel. They lived on Kelburn and your grandma and grandpa were down the end of that street and to the right and then down a, a hill on the driveway. Um, but I mean, you know, just being relatives and neighbors doesn't necessarily mean you hang out all day together. They were just nearby. And then your grandma and grandpa moved to El Monte, but North El Monte. Um, so again, they weren't right nearby. We were, my mom and dad were in Omani at the time themselves. Um, we'd stop by, I remember stopping by their house. It, it was, I think it was a rental, but a big yard in the front. And, and then shortly after that, they moved out to Agora way out, way out. Way out. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, Mercy, your grandma has just been nothing but encouraging. Just, and she just wants, you just feel like she wants to hear how you're doing. Um, yeah. And of course, the baby of the family, I, I think she had to find her own identity apart from everyone else. And moving out away from the family gave them a reason not to... Um, I mean, they'd still join that so many family get togethers, but um, yeah, I think that's when I found when we lived in San Diego and all the families up in LA, I felt like, Oh, okay. We have a valid excuse not to have to be at every get together, but we could, if we wanted to, it's just an, 
you know, yeah. a couple hour drive to get there if we wanted to. But I was, I, I love family, but I was like, you have to decide who's for. Yeah. And, and you have to decide who your control group is, what, yeah. um, and we needed to figure out who we were on our own. So we, you know, so we yeah. created a little distance and when we moved to Hawaii, Sarah and Ignacio both was like, you don't know what, like I've damaged the family because now I'm not there to plan these picnics and stuff. But it's like, no, but I need to, and I didn't, I just needed to concentrate on my family and create our own traditions. And so, but you know, time marches on, you can't hang on to, it's not always going to be like it was. Um, So it's just part of that reality accepting that um what else okay so so this will be more about joe okay like like how did joe and joyce meet each other so my dad jokes that my mom's from new york and he's from california and that they met that um his parents are from mexico and her roots are in canada and they met in kansas right in the middle of the country which is absolutely not true (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it made for a nice story. Um, yeah. They went, my dad had been in the air force, got out. He was going to school at LA city college. My mom, how did they meet? Cause she had just, she was 18 when they married. She had just started classes. I think at LA city college, she had graduated from Montebello high school. Um, and that's how they met. I think it was in an art class. And I think my dad showed interest in her and um, next thing you know, they were dating. He was seven years older than she is. Um, So he had already gone to the air force. He had been in the air force and returned. Yeah. So they were married June 19th, 1955. And my brother Jeffrey was born December of 56. So a year later, a year and some months, you know, a year and a half later. Um, my mom's family were concerned being the good old Canadian (laughs) English Irish. (laughs) He's not Puerto Rican. Is he, he was, he was okay. As long as he wasn't Puerto Rican, because I guess from New York and Puerto Ricans didn't have a good reputation or they were looked down on or whatever. So as long as he wasn't Puerto Rican, he was okay. It was like West Side Story. Making one of my mom's aunts like making hot sauce for my dad to see how hot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that that was something. But the big family. So that was familiar. My grandma on my mom's side came from a family of 23 kids. So lots of aunts and uncles on that side. So in that way, those the two families were similar with my dad coming from the family. 23 siblings? My grandma was one of 23. Yeah. Some were born in England and then some were born in Canada. The rest were born in Canada. They were um, paying people at the time to come over and help populate the um, Canada. So they came from England with a handful of kids. Some of the kids, a couple of the older ones stayed in England, um, but a lot of them 
in Canada and they migrated to New York and then migrated to California and then migrated to Florida to retire. <laughs> the 23, is it from different moms? No, the same mom and dad. The same mom and dad had 23 children. I calculated my great grandma was <laughs> pregnant for eight years or, or more. Yeah. At least, I mean that who knows, but yeah. that's, <laughs> They all look very similar. Got to be some kind of record. I, I imagine. I don't know. I mean, you know, but those farm families and, and you, you lost. Yeah. But I, I knew yeah. a dozen of them personally. Yeah. yeah. Was Joe drafted or volunteer? Great question. I don't know. Um, I think it was before the, I don't know. Was he in the Korean War? During the, while that conflict was going on, but he was stationed up in Alaska. Okay. Yeah, I had to think that he volunteered. Yeah. To keep an eye on Russia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was an auto mechanic, which was kind of ironic because I never really learned to work on cars from my dad. Um, but that was his job in the military. Yeah. So he did that, and then Jeffrey was born, and they lived in South San Gabriel at the time. And we, I have pictures of me and my sister and Jeffrey playing on the driveway um, there in South San Gabriel in Kelburn. Um, shoot, what, what more do you want to know? That's where the accident happened. No, the accident happened on Sidka in El Monte in front of my Aunt Ruby and Uncle Henry's or near there. I think Uncle Henry's, someone on his side of the family was celebrating a wedding and the reception was in their backyard and it came time to go and my brother Jeffrey headed to the car and that's when he was hit. So it was, yeah, it was at Ruby's house. And I don't know if I imagined it or what, but I was only two, two and a half, but I seemed to recall, okay, we're going. Um, and then, no, I was, someone was taking me to the back of the house. And that's, um, I, not Ines, um, Esther, Fran, Esther reminds me, um, Francis, and I, we went and stayed with Aunt Francis while my brother was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, Janice, myself, Josh, and Jonathan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All J's. And I told you about the three J's, right? Joe, Joyce, yeah. Jeffrey. Joe, Joyce. Yeah. So, I mean, his real Joe name is really Domingo. 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 Yeah. yeah. Which means Sunday. And they say because he was born on a Sunday, but I don't know. I, I guess yeah. now we could Google that and, and verify that. <laughs> I, he was called Pepe. Pepe was his nickname, which um, meant little Joe. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they, Joe Pepe, he went by quite a few names. And in the military, he um, got the name Dell, which is also a nickname that Uncle Oswald had. His coworkers would call him Dell, and Ruth would call him Dell. His wife would call him Dell because he used a Dell computer. Uh, nope, because his last name is Delgado. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, I don't think Dell computers were even around. <laughs> And he worked for the Parks and Recreation? He was an art 
instructor for LA County Parks and Recreation. And then somewhere in there, I don't know how long he did that, um, he got involved with the senior citizens um, and orchestrating, organizing events for those um, groups throughout the county. So he would drive all over LA County. So all the way out to the valley, all the way down to the beach, um, and then downtown and wherever there were senior citizen centers, um, he would, in LA County, all the way Arcadia and um, all over, he was, that was his territory, if you will. And he just went in and did his thing and made people feel good and recognized folks and created um, boards. And then they would um, organize he themselves. He, what's that? He was an artist. He was that too, but that wasn't his primary responsibility. He would organize outings. Um, so they would go to Catalina, Universal Studios, Disneyland, um, all over. So he worked in public relations, so to speak, because he knew all the contact people for these places. And then we would get invited on director's day when all these people who organized, they would have us have my dad and his guests out. So like Disneyland, we went, it was cold. It was December time, but every December we'd go and have free passes and spend, you know, ride as many rides. Same thing when um, Magic Mountain opened up, um, everyone got invited out. Same thing, Universal Studios, Knott's Berry Farm, um, the Queen Mary, when that was, I guess it still is an attraction, but um, when that first opened up, um, they wanted to have everyone down to see it, to sell it, to bring their groups there. Um, so, yeah, so that that's, I think that's where I started figuring out, oh, you could have a career of just schmoozing people. <laughs> that's where your love of Disneyland came from? Well, I prefer Knott's Farm. I, Disneyland's, <laughs> um, Disneyland's amazing. But it's not not as real as Knott's Berry Farm. But kind of funny, that was the my reference point, Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, for everything else I would see later in life, like go to Arizona. It's like, oh, these mountains look just like at Knott's Berry Farm. Um, yeah. you know, like, right. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm in Hawaii. It's like, oh, this is just like the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you said... In 1973, you took a cross-country road trip with your family? Yeah. So my mom's brother, Bob, um, lived in New Jersey. They had lived in California for a little bit, and then they were in New Jersey. And then my dad had a good friend from the um, Air Force, the Jim Crosby, in Indiana. And um, I don't know what inspired 73, so... I remember um, Becky and Wayne bought a new car that year too. You were a teenager. Yeah. 70, I was 12. Um, so we all packed up. John was five and Josh, and we all recorded on our cassette tapes, any music um, to listen to. Of course the batteries ran out very quickly, but um, we got to go and see and places that, Oh, okay. So this is Laramie, Wyoming. And, and we saw that we rode the arc, it, the arch in St. Louis, the gateway to the West. And we 
walked up to the Lincoln Memorial and went up the Washington Monument and um, saw the Treasury Building, saw Niagara Falls, because we went up into Canada to visit relatives in Ottawa. And there we saw the Parliament Building and the, the Mint and a changing of the guards. And um, it was a long, long trip. We took a month. But we stopped through Indiana and the, saw the pig farm and jumped on the, the, the bins of corn kernel and um, just saw a different slice of America, drove through Chicago. In hindsight, I wish we had stopped, but because now I just, I love Chicago after I was stationed there in the military or um, for boot camp, um, really learned to enjoy Chicago. Is this in an RV? Uh, no, it was in a... Ford station wagon. We had oh, okay. strung up wires to for curtains, for shade. Kansas was so hot. We went through Kansas about the 4th of July and um, it was so dry and hot. But that's, yeah, I remember. And fireworks, I think they just sold them. We, it was kind of remarkable because it wasn't as controlled as fireworks are were in California. Um, but yeah, you could buy, I guess, anything and everything out in the country. It probably didn't matter. But um, would you sleep in the car or camp? No, or motel? we had tents. We slept okay. in the car outside of Denver, and then we got um, the cops came and made us move move along. But we, um, KOA Campgrounds of America, we kind of mapped that out, and then AAA. They would used to give you books and maps and kind of map out, help you map out your trip. So we, we did that and we went across the middle. So we didn't see much of the South, um, Virginia, West Virginia, and then went up and then back and, and across. So um, Utah, Wyoming. Um, and in Illinois. Canada, you, you visited Joyce's family. Correct. Yeah. She, right. um, her uncle, my mom's uncle George and her cousin Stanley, who I'm still in touch with some of their um, downline. Um, so you grew up in South San Gabriel and El Monte. I was born in San Gabriel Community Hospital. It's not there anymore. Uh, my family was living in on Kelburn um, then, and it was Jeffrey, Janice, and myself in that house. And then that's where we were living when Jeffrey passed away. And I remember there just being a void in the house. And then shortly after that, we moved to El Monte to Whitmore Street. Um, and Josh was just a baby. And then a few years later, um, then John, John was born. So I'm the middle child in this. Well, if there's five of us, I'm the middle child. But then there's no Jeffrey. And before John came along, I was the middle child. Um, now I'm, I'm the second oldest. But... Janice, I don't know. Um, she's the oldest, but and it's weird because the oldest. I mean, if we were royalty, my brother Jeffrey would inherit the throne. But <laughs> right. Um, and being Hispanic, male. Um, but it's like my family where Liz, one girl, four brothers. Mm-hmm. So my sister had three younger brothers. Um, no. Yeah. 
So for the most part, and my mom still lives in the same house where I, that we lived in, in Almonte, we moved in 63, almost 60 years on my mom's been in that house, um, which seemed large. What's that? Does she live alone? No, my brother, Josh and his wife, Lenine live there. They okay. do catastrophic um, insurance adjusting. So they sit around and wait for a hurricane or something to hit the country. And then they go there to work for months at a time. And then they've been coming in and it, it works for both. So my mom's not in the house by herself. I know it drives, I mean, my sister-in-law, who everyone wants their own kitchen. Where, are we? where, where did you go to high school? I went to El Monte High School, El Monte, which was yeah. the same high school that Aloysa Ruby's kids attended. And then um, Hector, their, their oldest son, he lived, I mean, he taught at that same high school. And then my Aunt Ruby worked there. Um, and my cousin Jerry went the same time we did. And my sister, of course, was a year ahead of me. Um, and then Francine went to that school, too. She's four years behind me, though. So we weren't there at the same time, but um, yeah, so it's familiar. And, and was and that the, the teacher you invited to your wedding? No, that was um, from Cortada Elementary School. That's where my mom worked uh, and where uh, my cousin Esther worked at Cortada. And Miss Halsey taught fourth grade. Did your mom work there while you were going there? She worked there. I think she started after, while John was going there. She just started okay. in the computer lab, and and this even and then just continued even after John graduated out. Yeah, no, my mom didn't work while we were going to elementary school. She was just she was a homemaker. Yeah. And did, were, was, did you play? I would say it was extraordinary at that time for it was a new concept, except for for women to work outside of the home. It was. Yeah. Going back to work. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Did I play sports? Uh, no. Yeah. And that's a big regret because my friends played Little League. But, you know, you, your parent needs to help you do that. And my parents were not supportive or saw no value or <laughs> yeah and I, I mean I trusted like if they weren't interested I guess it must not be important but I wish I had played little league or um football I'm not so keen on just because of the potential injury but um I tried wrestling in high school but that didn't stick and uh did you go to prom did I what did you go to prom? I went to um, prom my junior year with Terry Samples, and that was just we were friends, nothing romantic or anything like that. And then my senior year, I was senior, I was um, ASB president. Um, oh. So I thought I should go, but I didn't really have a girlfriend. And um, so I ended up going just a, a friend who was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going. It's like, you want to go? Okay, let's go. So it was kind of just for fun. 
Um, Debbie Davila is who went, uh, we went with. Well, yeah, what made you decide to go to UC Santa Barbara? Well, that was um, the, my uh, guidance counselor's daughter had gone there and he was hoping to get some kids out of El Monte and away from the routine of going to Cal Poly Pomona. I, in my junior year, I had the opportunity to apply for a program at USC where I would skip my senior year of high school and go right into university. And um, we debated. In fact, I went to talk to my cousin. My mom encouraged, my mom didn't, my parents didn't go to university. So it was a foreign concept. Um, but they encouraged me to talk to Naomi, my cousin, who had gone to Cal State LA, um, just to try to, uh, and who knows? I mean, and who knows what, what I would have done or made of myself any differently. But I was really connected to high school and the friendships and making the memories. And um, just Sounds going like you were a good the, student. I was a good student. I had to work hard. I, I had to put in overtime to um, the geometry, trigonometry um, came easy for some folks. I, I didn't do physics. I shied away from physics, but all the college bound kids were doing physics. But I, I, after school was over, I'd go in and while the teachers, math teachers were grading and doing whatever they needed to do, I was there so that I could get help. So regularly, I, I stayed late after school. I can, I can get it. It just takes me a little longer. All right. Have to be diligent about it. So that's why I tell people even now, it's like, I, I'll figure this out. It might take me a little longer. I'm going to study it and, and, and nail it. And then I'll know it. So I, I ended up getting a good grade. I don't know if it's A or B plus or whatever in um, geometry and trigonometry. Um, was going to Santa Barbara a culture shock? Very much. These were the kids that they were coming from affluent homes where mom and dad had already given them a car and they were, their spring breaks were flying somewhere to go skiing or, um, that was not my upbringing. We didn't have the, <laughs> the means to do that or we lived very simple, quiet. My parents didn't, weren't about getting into debt or, um, yeah, so this was all it's like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really tough. And my high school was a, a good mix of Asian, white, only one, two black students that I recall. Um, a lot of Hispanics or a few Hispanics like myself that were half Mexican, half Anglo. Um, just Carol Guzman was one of the only ones either. Otherwise it was very much the Mexicans, the new immigrants who didn't speak much English, the Cholos, and then the, the potheads and then the surfers, but they were, they were a minority because we live so far from the beach. You couldn't really be a true surfer, but you could wear the clothes and have the right. haircut and, and wear the puka shells and, yeah, in fact, I remember your cousin, your cousin, your um, aunt, Liz, wearing puka <laughs> shells. But y'all, yeah. 
y'all live down near Malibu and Zuma and all that good stuff. So that, yeah. that <laughs> what was your major? I didn't know what to do. I declared communications. I thought psychology. I did that for two years. Um, I didn't, I couldn't, uh, there was the, not La Raza, um, the Latin students who were almost militant. It's like, okay, that's not me. Um, I had a hard time finding my place. I was involved in a church down there and that was more normal. I mean, I um, did volunteer work with mentally handicapped kids and worked with those, some of those same kids at the church. And, and that I could do, but to buckle down and study and um, I fall asleep when I read. So <laughs> really hard to stay awake and stay concentrated. And I'm, I think I'm a little ADD because I'm so easily distracted. Um, so I didn't Did you get do into well. surfing? What's that? Yeah. Did you get into no, surfing? No, I that's when I lived in Hawaii, I thought, Oh, for sure. I'm going to learn to surf now, but it, it didn't happen. I too heavy and the balance. And um, so I love water, but the surfing part yeah. has, has escaped me. I've, I've, yeah, I've water skied once or twice, but um, so I, I can find the balance, but, and paddleboard, uh, I've done that. But um, boogie boarding so, is much easier. Yeah. I just, and I, I, um, I imagine what could go wrong. So I'm always imagining, you know, yeah. I can pack, um, boogie boarding. So um, I did two years at Santa Barbara. One of the, what do they call it at church? Elders, daughters, went to Multnomah School of the Bible up in Portland, Oregon. I told you, the yeah. Jehovah, went, the, um, the Mormons dedicate two years of yeah. their life to mission. I thought I can invest a year. And, and it went in line with, um, Louie and Uncle Sal and um, it's like, oh, I'm going to see if, you know, this is so a year, but the kids there were right off the farm and they were two years younger than me and I had been to university. And so that lasted for a year. Then I came home. I worked at a restaurant. I was a server at a, a nice restaurant. I'm busser than server. And then I thought, which okay, restaurant? Uh, it was Rosie's. It's the building is still there, but I don't think it's, operating as a restaurant i think it's offices now but not too far from the house um from my mom and dad's house did that for a year and then i thought okay i'm not attached um now's the time i gotta go before i live in almani for the rest of my life so i joined the navy um in let's say jeffrey was born in 89 so it was 80 minus 6 83 um, November 1st, I started and I, that was the first time I was on a plane and went to Great Lakes in Illinois, North of Chicago. By the Navy. Um, I like water. Um, I think the Marines would have been, I wasn't physically fit. So that would have been, um, tough army. I didn't understand what they, you know, what their job was all about. Um, air force was no real attraction. So I thought, okay. Yeah. And the Navy slogan, join the Navy, see the world. So <laughs> I was like, I had you, had to get, you had to do boot camp. Right. In Great Lakes in the middle of winter, one of the coldest winters they wow. had seen. Um, so that was a real eye opener. It's like, 
People live here. People in um, Illinois. Um, Oh, Illinois. Yeah, I was like, people live here on purpose. It's like, (laughs) why? (laughs) And of course, I mean, there's a history. Yeah. Country developed, and you're from sunny California. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, we don't want everyone living in California, but this is you got, but they have seasons, which California doesn't really experience. So I, I understand, I understood in Chicago why people are out in the streets when the weather's good, because it's not always that way. You got to enjoy it when it's happening. Um, so, And you worked on thought, submarines? I did. I was a sonarman on a fast attack submarine. Fast attack versus a boomer that just sits out there for three months with uh, deterrent bomb, uh, missiles on board. Um, we actually went like a hunter of this um, we would go and try to record the russian submarines as they're coming in and out of port because each submarine has its own acoustic signature so if we could record them then we could know which submarine this is or if it's a new one that we don't know about and so we were creating what would become top secret acoustic intelligence packages that would be recorded and sent off to dc for analysis was it still the Soviet Union? It was the USSR. Um, I saw yeah. the Ural Mountains out the periscope. And I, I think I mentioned to you the U.S. Um, 12, out, 12 miles off its border beyond its international waters. The Russians, 100 miles off their coast, is their waters. Well, we were 12 miles off their coast um, in their waters, but playing by our rules in their waters. So, um, had we been detected, there was some real danger there. Would have been a problem. We were, uh, think we were detected. There was a, a ship pinging on us. Um, we went deep and silent and um, we evaded them. But yeah, it would have been quite something if they had fired on us or um, captured us or something like that. <laughs> Did but, you ever get claustrophobic? There were times, and they tested us for claustrophobia in submarine school, which was in Groton, Connecticut, after boot camp. Um, There were times I'd look at the hatch. There's three floors, three stories on the submarine. So on the top floor up near command, right outside of sonar, where I worked, um, there's the hatch that you climb up to, but um, there's 500, 800 feet of water between that hatch and the surface. Like, nah, I'll just keep busy. (laughs) <laughs> so you just learn to we lived on an 18 hour day so you're working for six hours studying or if you had qualified and earned your dolphins you were watching movies um, for six hours and then you were sleeping for six hours initially um I, they hot rack so there's two beds for three people someone's always working so only two people need a bed at a time you had your own like sleeping bag kind of roll up that you put on. So you weren't sleeping where someone else had slept, but just the rack itself, about the shape of a coffin, about the size of a coffin is what we slept in. Somehow in there, that didn't last very long for me. And then I got moved into, (coughs) sorry, had my own rack in this own separate room of nine, like where the junior officers or the um, slept, not the wardroom, but, um, had its own separate bathroom and it's like, Oh, okay. This is not so what was your, your title. I was a submarine sonarman. 
I was a petty officer second class is when I left at E5. So it was enlisted. Um, and because we were around so much electronics, they had to keep everything cool. So we never really sweated like they did down in the machine spaces. Um, and that, that's what we did was maintain all the computers, which for the most part ran very well, but there were times when it didn't. The most nerve wracking part, and it's hard to explain, but um, there's a sonar um, ball that's in the front of the submarine apart from, um, so we had to go down this slide to get into it. That was the most nerve wracking because if the ship hit something or flooded or something while I was in that sonar sphere, I was toast. There was no way I was going to get out fast enough to save myself. Um, but, but fortunately, we usually didn't go in there when the ship was moving. It was usually in port and um, rarely did we have to go in there to work on the equipment that was in there. Yeah, but it was it was good duty. I went places, did things. Saw ADEC Alaska and Hong Kong and Tokyo and Nagasaki and parts of Alaska. What's that? The Philippines. The Philippines. We were in um, out not near Manila, but as um, along a po Subic Bay. And coincidentally, while I was in Subic Bay, one of those times, my brother, who was in the Marines, was at QB Point. Just I don't know. I don't know how many miles away, but a couple hours drive. So we, we actually got to meet up in the Philippines. So you would go on land when you were in these places? When the submarine um, was in, uh, yes. Yeah. And we could yeah. pull up in the Philippines and Hawaii. We could pull right up to the dock in Japan. They wouldn't let us pull up to the pier. So we would dock out in Tokyo Harbor and then take a small boat, um, to and from the submarine. On one of those jaunts, you know, I wanted souvenir, how many times I'm gonna be in Japan. So I went and found, I felt like I was National Geographic. Um, I would go out where the people were and see the real, I didn't wanna see the touristy or the, what the sailors were looking for. Um, so I would catch a jeepney in the Philippines and go out to the fishing village or in Japan, I went and found the Noritake China factory. Um, where they make all the fine china and went walked through they no one spoke english but they gave me a tour of the place and then there's this great big room where it's all just loose china so i put together a set of china and then carted that all the way back to base carted all the way back to the ship back to base to be packed up and and shipped to san diego where where raquel was how, how long are you underwater for between surfacing so we would go out for the week during normal operations out of San Diego. Um, but when we were on station, we'd be transiting and it could be a week or two weeks. There was a period of time when we were on station, when we we're near Russia, that we were actually underwater for two and a half months without surfacing. Yeah. So Raquel, tells wow. I don't know, because I, but she, we'd come out pasty white and, and smelling like diesel because that was... Yeah no sun and that was our environment um with the not that it was diesel powered it was uh nuclear powered but when to when we'd go up near the surface to grab fresh air they'd run the diesel engine 
that would pull the air in and um, expel the the old air. So we'd have fresh air there for a while. So then after that, um, what did you do when you got out of the Navy? So I got out the same month that Jeffrey was born. Um, uh, we moved back up toward LA. Raquel was involved in her parents' upholstery business. So we lived in Glendora. You got married while you were in the Navy. Yeah, we got married. Um, I was three years in. Six weeks after we got married, I was flying out to meet my submarine in Guam. So we, um, and living in, we had an apartment in San Diego and Raquel was working down there. So we spent. How did you meet Raquel? Well, back to Aunt Ruby. Uh, it was a night watch service, or, you know, the night, uh, New Year's Eve service. Um, and Ra- Ra- Aunt Ruby had made friends with Raquel's family. And they had, she was having them over. And then I was home. I must have been home from Multnomah. Um, God was invited to Aunt Ruby's too, just for whatever, coffee and whatever. But that night, um, Raquel's mom went into labor to deliver Raquel's youngest brother, who's 20 years younger than Raquel. Um, so that, that was the initial, we got to know him. And then, you know, we saw each other at church and worked together on vacation Bible school. And it was unusual. We're both planners. So somewhere in there, I think it was in February of 85, I was in San Diego commuting back and forth. And um, anyway, we just sat down at a TGIF and said, okay, here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm doing. Um, what is, what does your future look like? And it's like, oh, okay, this will work. And just right then and there, we had not even dated or been boyfriend, girlfriend or anything, but there in the restaurant, we decided, okay, this will be a good thing for us to be married. <laughs> so we hadn't kissed until then. Um, and then we went in. Did you get married before you joined the Navy? No, I was went in the Navy in 83. We got married in 86. And then so I you got out in breaks where you could. Yeah, it was um, like a work week. You'd oh. have days off where you could get go away on Liberty. And I'd just catch the train and um, okay. didn't, didn't have a car. So I'd catch the train, catch the bus to get the train. Um like in San Diego. From San Diego. Because yeah. that's okay. where I got stationed. I was hoping to get stationed on the East Coast where I had not been. Like I was hoping for Charleston, South yeah. Carolina. And then they put me in San Diego. It's like, yeah, okay, I know California. I want to learn something else. But um, so that, that was that. And then in April of 86, so we were planning our, we actually were hoping, thinking to get married in September near both of our birthdays. But because I couldn't guarantee that I would be, be able to be at the wedding with deployment and all, we made it April. And then I was, um, then shortly after that, I had to go meet the boat. So they say the hardest job in the Navy is the Navy wife because she has to keep everything going and pay the bills and everything while you're out to sea. So, um, yeah, she worked at a um, title insurance company, American Title, while we were down there. But the yeah. fun, it was San Diego. I don't know if you're familiar with San Diego, but 
it was yeah. the gas lamp district and all that was just starting to get developed. The ballpark wasn't downtown yet. Seaport Village wasn't as extensive as it is. It was it was a nice time to be in San Diego. It was easy to get around, easy to to manage. And we lived out on Crown Point in Pacific Beach, just up the road from SeaWorld. So like you would go to the park or yeah. we had passes to go feed the feed the dolphins at SeaWorld. Um, we just go down in the evening and walk around. It was, it was, it was good times. And is that when you started working in the hospitality industry? No, hotels didn't come along. So how did it work? What did I do first? Raquel had the upholstery business. We bought a carpet cleaning business and then that um, didn't work out. So then I went to work for the, Tati helped get me a job. Um, did I work at the bookstore first? It was Tati um, was um, get, went and gave the ASVAB test to kids that were trying to go into the military. Um, so mm -hmm. she got me on doing that. And then I got a full-time job at the U.S. government bookstore down at Arco Towers, downtown L.A., Figaro and Sixth. And then Esther... Via, again, was working at uh, Evangelical Christian Credit Union in Anaheim. So I got a job there. And then from there, I went to work at the LA Times Federal Credit Union back downtown. And then from there, we decided we're going on an adventure. We're moving to Hawaii. So we went to Hawaii. We we're kind of like immigrants, had to figure out how to survive and then thrive. And I saw the what is now the Grand Hyatt over there in Poipu, I thought, okay, yeah, that's where I want to work. So it took me three months to get on board there. And I started out as a hotel operator, transferred to the front desk, was a bellman, worked landscape, banquets, bar porter, setting up bars, um, worked in purchasing, receiving on the loading dock. And then I went in, the kids were old enough, I went into management and was assistant housekeeping manager. And then, um, executive public areas housekeeping of the 50 acres of property with a team of 50. Um, and then from there I was guest services and that became, I didn't like the way I was being treated. Um, so I, I packed up and left that and I went and got my realtor's license and was working at a restaurant, um, really nice restaurant called the beach house. It's right out on the water. Um, and Kauai is much smaller. So, there wasn't as much competition. Um, did that and did that for two years. Anyway, ended up going back to the hotel, this time on food and beverage side. I was relief manager down at the pool and at the seafood restaurant. And then the Italian restaurant needed a manager. So I stepped into that after just a couple months. Did that until it was time to transfer. Raquel, had, the kids weren't coming back to Hawaii for career, for um, no. There was just much more happening in Chicago. Um, and so Raquel said, if when the kids start their families, we need, I want to be nearby because Hawaii is wonderful, but it's a five and a half hour flight from LA just to get yeah. to LA is yeah. Not to mention expensive. So um, it's like, oh, okay. So our general manager who had left the Hawaii property went to Miami beach and I told him, you know, let me know when something comes up. So it wasn't 
But uh, a couple of years after that, that I got phone calls like, hey, Jerry, we have a position for you. We have a position for Raquel. Um, you want to come to Miami? <laughs> so we did. We'd never been to Florida. We hadn't been to Florida until we landed in the airport. That was our first time going to Florida. So, so we both did that kids first. were living in Chicago? Both kids were in Chicago. So that got us back to the mainland. So we were starting to achieve our objective. And then um, we all had in mind to move to Austin. So the kids were saying, oh, just go to Austin. Um, but we went to Cleveland to, and we were closer and we were able to see the kids every three months or so. Either they came to us or we went to them. And then the kids came to Austin and then we came to Austin just a year ago. Now, now we're here and I don't know how, much long, how long we'll be here, but I'm tired of moving. So... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully a long time. Yeah. And that's Jeffrey Thomas and Elisa Michael. Exactly. Yeah. Is Jeffrey married? Jeffrey's married to Rachel. They just celebrated 10 years on May 20th. They met in, at school right. in Indiana. And then where we thought we were going back for Jeffrey's graduation, it, it ended up being a, going back for their wedding. And... I mean, it wasn't a surprise or anything like that, but um, we had all mapped out and bought tickets. And um, so, yeah, me, twin. my mom and dad were at the wedding too. Cool. And, and now you're at the, the Hyatt Resort in Austin. Um, it's called Hyatt Regency Lost Pines. It's outside okay. of Austin, about 23 miles. So it's really kind of out in a little more woodsy. Um, it's a big resort. It's 400 developed acres, and there's a couple hundred more acres that aren't developed. But it's a different kind of hotel. It's it's not your typical city hotel. It's not a boutique hotel. It's a resort. So we try to create it, an experience. Can I crash on your couch? Uh, yeah. Okay. We have, um, with this move, it's given us an extra room so and that was that was the intent for to be a guest room yeah so austin's on my list i do want to go to austin yeah and we don't live in the city though it's you know a half hour down the road yeah like you know like la you you're everything's yeah accessible by freeway i'm kind of a movie buff there's a big entertainment industry in austin the yellow yeah. draft house Cool, cool. Wow, what a life you've had. Um, funny you use that amazing. expression. What's that? Well, I you know, pretty I, amazing. Before um, this expression, you only live once. That, yeah. In my head, life is too short. And that was our, the expression I used when we moved to Hawaii. Life's too short to wonder what would have been. We, we just go and know. Because you have to do it to know. So we've, we've done it. What do we have to lose? Worst case scenario, when we move back home. And, you know, we're not, had I just stayed and worked and saved and bought properties and, you know, I'd be in a different situation, but, um, but we have the experience and memories. And um, I, I, I don't want to sound hedonistic, but I mean, the, the journey is, what you do along the way it just makes things richer. Yeah. So I, I yeah, think I'm, even these, 
even the road trips you took as a kid probably exposed you to there's a bigger America out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's people, good people who pronounce things differently. Uh, uh, cantaloupe is one thing on one side of the Mississippi and it's mushmelon on the other. But yeah, um, yeah, and different, yeah. So, and, and that's where I enjoy, I find it entertaining, interesting to just experience other people and their, yeah. under, hear their, understand their experiences. Yeah, just to appreciate other. Yeah. Do you have any advice for me, Jerry? Don't don't take on any debt. Um, That's my mom and dad were very frugal, Um, and my dad worked for the county, and my mom worked for school, so they didn't make a lot of money, but they were very conscientious about how they spent it or didn't spend it. So where we didn't have all the toys, we had stability, and now that um, my dad back in the day when there were pensions, um, my dad had his income from having been a county worker for so long. And my mom has her income from having worked for the school district and then social security. My dad had um, more money than he knew what to do with, with his, his economy. I mean, he wasn't a millionaire, but, Right, um, in retirement. So he could afford to be generous. And um, and now my mom's kind of at that stage. They bought a piece of property out in the desert, um, Joshua Tree, just mm-hmm. two and a half acres to help my grandma out. But now it's kind of like, wow, that, that um, value couldn't come in handy. So they're not financial wizards, but um, they just live frugally. And now I think there's a big security in that at, at this stage. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out myself, Caleb. <laughs> as soon as I know, I'll let you know. No, we just try to live simply yeah. not. And my grandma McLaughlin's like uh, not live beyond our means, um, pay cash, pay, you know, pay as we go. And that, that was one of the things that discouraged me or deterred me from Southern California and even Irvine, you know, cars and clothes and it's all flash, but I don't, are you, do you really afford that? Or yeah. So all that is, was a little, I don't know, unreal. I don't know. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview with me. Yeah. I, ho- I hope it's been helpful. <laughs> it's been very helpful. It's been okay. educational. Oh, okay. Learned so much. Yeah, I, I don't know if I filled in any, any, um, anything that you weren't already aware of. But you again, did. You're the first child of Joe that I've talked to, so that really helped. Oh, okay. And then you know, again, um, the caveat is that this is my perspective. This is how I saw it. I don't know how other cousins saw it. I, we just saw my cousin Michelle, and she just she's like gushy and mushy and it's like I don't really remember it that way but okay I don't want to discourage you know it's like yeah we had the best yeah. childhood and like I don't know I think I was a little more realistic in my <laughs> observation yeah but I don't want to you know yeah. if that's the way she remembers it I'm not gonna tell her otherwise yeah 
not that it was it wasn't bad i just always saw the between the mclaughlin's and the delgados there was always just a contradictory picture that i had to try to put together in my head but and of course no one else but me and my siblings had that experience but anyway well good to visit with you i'm always available if i can fill in any blanks or put you in touch with somebody or i'm happy to do that i'm really tickled and appreciate what you're doing just collecting this because it's oh thank uh, you my dad would say it for posterity for um, yeah yeah for who knows but i appreciate that you're doing this yeah all right did well you, did you tell your grandma and grandpa and everybody hello for me I did, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having dinner with them tonight, so we tell them all about it. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, give them all a big hug for me. I would love to see them in person. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Take care.